Hey, and thanks for tuning in. At Northgate, we're passionate about helping people become who God purposed them to be. We hope that this message encourages and blesses you today. Stay tuned after for more ways to connect. Hello there. <laughs> that, that intro music seems like it needs like a really big, massive opening, like you should be expecting something big, but um, that's not really me. So I'm a little bit more risk averse than that. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But how about I just start by introducing myself? My name is Jeff Gustafson. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I want to say welcome to you, especially those of you who are new. It is great to have you with us. We are in a series of messages that we are calling Strong. We've been talking about vision, leadership, and the book of Joshua. I said I'm kind of risk-averse, and it's true. I naturally don't like taking risks. I like to play it safe. I'm the kind of person I always wear my bike helmet and put on my sunscreen and wear my life jacket every time I go to Walmart. You can't be too careful, especially at the Walmart and Coon Rapids, you know. That's, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, actually, that would be a totally different kind of risk. That would be a social risk. And I'm actually maybe even more aware of those than being safety conscious. One time in my family, we were um, on a bike ride, and we ended up at the playground uh, near our house, and my kids started climbing up on the all, you know, the slide and all the stuff that, all the playground stuff you climb on, they had their bike helmets on. And my first thought was like, oh no, what if like another parent comes and they see me and I'm like the parent of the kids who are wearing their bike helmets while climbing on the thing. I'm thinking like, that's too much. I go to my kids and say, you guys got to take that off. And they're like, why dad? <laughs> okay, because I don't want to be one of those parents. Like I don't want to be the kind of parent who comes to the playground with a squirt gun full of Purell, you know, spraying at all the germy kids, get away. <laughs> you know, that, that would be a social risk. And you know, as much as I really am safety conscious, I mean, I do wear my bike helmet and sunscreen and all that stuff, just in the appropriate places. But I don't in the other places because I don't want to be thought of as weird. Like I don't want to be too out there. I don't want to be that crazy one. I tend to want to be more, like, respectable, right? I think when it comes to following Christ, I think there's a lot of us that want to be respectable. Maybe most of us want to be respectable. And what I mean by that is, like, we, we, we're the kind of people who do the right things, you know, like all of you showed up to worship, you know, and we, we pray when we're supposed to pray. We stand when we're supposed to stand, sit when we're supposed to sit. Um, we give and we volunteer for stuff and we try to be nice to our neighbor and all that stuff. But respectable people kind of, I think the thing that defines us is that there is a line that we are not going to cross. Like, that is crazy. This is okay. That's crazy. I'm not going there. Like, I, I don't know, that, that line might be different for different people. I'm not exactly sure what it is for you. Like for some people, it's like, all right, I will go to church, but I'm not going to be one of those people who raises my hands in worship. That is just like, that's a little too out there. Or I'm not going to be one of those people who, who brings their Bible with them everywhere they go, like, like they might be reading it. I mean, that would be, that would be weird. That would be crazy. Um, 
I, I don't know what that line is for you. And one time, my family and I, we lived in Japan for, well, my wife and I at that time, we lived in Japan. We were having a conversation with somebody, and I think we must have been talking about boldness, because uh, I remember saying something like, well, it's not like we've, you know, smuggled Bibles into China or something. And the people that, uh, that we were talking to, like, without breaking a step, they just said, oh, yeah, we actually went on a mission trip smuggling Bibles into China last week. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's my line. I don't even know what to say next. You are over there, and I... This, that's my line, and I'm not, I'm not going to cross that. Um, speaking of, uh, of smuggling Bibles, I was, I was reading this story, uh, this book, written, it was called um, God's Smuggler. It was written by a guy named Brother Andrew. He was a Dutch Christian. Uh, right after World War II, kind of during the Cold War, he used to smuggle Bibles into communist bloc countries. And that was taking a big risk because at that time they wouldn't just take the Bibles away. Like they could throw you into prison and they sometimes did. Um, they could even, in some of the countries, they would kill you for, for smuggling like this. It was, it was a big deal. Um, but the risks that he took were sometimes even bigger than that. Like um, he, would, he would pray for all the money that needed to come in for the Bibles and all his mission work and all that kind of stuff. Um, and he would, when he smuggled the Bibles in, uh, he would actually put them, put some of them in plain view, like put them on the dashboard, and then he would just pray, God, make the seeing eyes blind at the checkpoint, you know, when the guards are coming to look, and the guards would come, and they just wouldn't even see him at all. He didn't want to depend on his own cunning. He wanted to depend so much on God that he would do that. Could you imagine being his traveling companion? Like, and and he says, all right, could you just reach back there and take out one of the Bibles and just put it on the dashboard? Because we just want to depend on God, right? <laughs> and be like, that's my line. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. That, that would be too much. Sometimes these people who um, walk by faith like this, you know, who are so kind of uh, out there and have this kind of wholehearted faith, sometimes they rub respectable Christians the wrong way. Like, uh, Brother Andrew had this uh, woman that he was dating in his 20s, and when she found out that he was going to be a missionary, she wasn't too thrilled about that, and then she found out that he was going to go to this training school, and in this training school, they taught you things like, like faith-building exercises, like pray for your tuition, don't work for it, just pray, and when the money comes in, then you can start school. And when she heard about that, she was like, I don't want to have anything to do with you, um, because that's just, that's just too much. And so he lost that relationship. Sometimes um, people who are kind of out there, they make us who are respectable feel uncomfortable. But today, uh, I actually want to talk to those of you who are more like me, who you kind of like that respectable Christianity, you're comfortable in your comfort zone, um, Going over there makes you feel really nervous. If you're new to faith, or maybe you're exploring faith, I pray that God would teach you something about what it means uh, to follow Christ today. Or if you are kind of one of those, like, Brother Andrew-type Christians, you just came back from smuggling Bibles into a closed country and witnessing to your friends in ISIS or something, like, God bless you, I'm glad you're here. Um, 
and I pray that God would give you something in this message, that he would inspire you. Sometimes he does that. But really, I want to address those of you who are kind of like me, and you tend toward respectable Christianity, because I, I think that God has something for us, that he's challenging us um, to step beyond respectability, to step past that line and enter into wholehearted faith, because that's what the story that we're going to talk about today is about. The story that we're going to look at today is the story of Caleb. And we're going to be in Joshua chapter 14, but really the, the story begins before that in Numbers chapter 13. This is, this is after the Lord has delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt, and right before he's about to bring them into the promised land. And he, uh, he says to Moses, the Lord says to Moses, send out 12 spies and have them go and explore the land that I'm bringing you into. And so Moses does. Their job is to kind of go check out the land, see what it's like, and then come back and bring a report. And all 12 of them come back with a report that this land is flowing with milk and honey, meaning it's a really good land. There's food that's growing here. This would be a good place for us to live. They even bring back some of the fruit from the land um, and say, you just taste it. This is how good it is. But, they say, the cities are fortified, and we saw some of the descendants of Anak there, which were kind of, I mean, they were people who were huge. They were like giants. And it's at that moment that Caleb spoke up. And think about this in terms of leadership. He spoke up and he said this, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the ten of the spies, Caleb was one, Joshua was one, not those two, but there's other, the other ten, they, uh, they said together, no, we can't do it. Those people are too strong for us. And they decided they would go and spread a bad report about the land. So they said, actually, the land isn't really all that good at all. And there's these huge people there. There's no way we can take it. And so the people, the Israelites, began to freak out. Like, Moses and Joshua and Caleb, they want to lead us into this land that's not even any good. And the people are huge. This is like death. We know what it's like here in the desert. We're going to stay here. We don't want to go. And they started thinking about stoning Moses and Joshua and Caleb. Moses prays. And God says, yeah, I think I'm just going to wipe them all out. And Moses actually intercedes and says, no, God, you can't do that because what are the people going to think? If you lead your people out of the promised land and then you kill them in the desert, what are they going to think about who you are? They aren't going to know what you're like. So then God relents and says, okay, I'll spare them, but they're going to wander in the desert for 40 years because none of them are going to come and enter into this promised land, at least none of the adults. Maybe the kids can come in, but the adults who are so afraid to come in, they're going to, they're going to die in the desert first. And that's what happens. And in fact, the 10 spies, uh, they die of a plague uh, immediately after this. Only Caleb and Joshua survive. But of Caleb... It says this, God said this. He said, But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. So that kind of brings us up to the story that we're going to talk about today. It's actually 40 years later, maybe a little bit more, maybe 45 years later. Uh, the Israelites have wandered in the desert and then uh, Moses has died. All of the previous generation has died off. Only Joshua and Caleb 
are left. And Joshua leads the people into the promised land, wins these battles we've been talking about at Jericho and Ai. And they, they're, they're driving out their enemies. And um, it's at this point that Caleb goes to Joshua and says, Hey, Joshua, do you remember what God said? Do you remember what Moses said? And in verse 7, he says, Caleb says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So Caleb's saying, hey, Joshua, do you remember that? Do you remember that? He continues. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out into battle as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and that their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. If the line is here, Caleb is over here. He's one of those people, like, he's saying, yeah, sure, there's giants in the land. Sure, the cities are fortified but we can take them. Who's with me? You know, he, he's the guy saying, yeah, I'm 85 years old, but I fight like a 40-year-old. Let's go get them. That's where Caleb is. And everyone else is going, I don't know. You know, to respectable people, he looks like he's crazy. But I told you that I really want to speak to other people who are kind of in this respectable camp with me. And I want to challenge us that we need to step across that line of respectability into wholehearted following. Because did you hear that the thing that, that they described Caleb, the, the thing that God said to describe Caleb, he followed the Lord his God wholeheartedly. Caleb has something that I don't know that, that we have. His way of relating with God, I think, is the only way of actually following God, following God with our whole heart. And so even though I know this is going to make some of us uncomfortable, I, I want to make the case that following the Lord wholeheartedly is the only way to go, to step beyond respectability and, and follow the Lord wholeheartedly. And I want to give you three reasons. And I think these are good reasons. I think they're compelling reasons. And the first one is this. Following the Lord wholeheartedly is more logical than fear. Second, following the Lord wholeheartedly is the secret to conquering giants. And third, following the Lord wholeheartedly is required to receive your inheritance. Let's just take those in order, all right? Following the Lord wholeheartedly is more logical than fear. It's really important that you get this because the whole case for respectability is that logically it seems like the wise thing to do, like don't take too many risks. Don't stick your neck out. You know, if the giants look really, if no one wants to fight the giants, there might be a reason for it because the giants are really big and you're really small. So play it safe. That's kind of the logical way of thinking. 
here's what you need to know. Caleb wasn't crazy. He wasn't crazy. He, he maybe looked crazy to those who were kind of in the respectable camp. But he wasn't, he wasn't overly optimistic. He wasn't driven by reckless passion. He actually dealt in truth more than the ten spies and everybody who followed them. See, when they all came, when, they, when the spies all came back, they all had the same report. The land was really good. It was flowing with milk and honey. They even brought some fruit back, physical evidence that this was a good place. Everybody agreed on that. But then the ten spies went and spread a false report that, no, it's not any good. They wanted to downplay the upside so that the, the downside would look bigger. Well, Caleb, on the other hand, he never denied the downside. He never pretended there was no giants. Even 40 years later, he was saying, yep, there's giants in the land, and with God's help, I'm going to go get them. He always knew that. What Caleb had, though, he had something else in his calculation. He figured something into the equation when deciding what to do that the, the ten spies and the Israelites didn't bring into that thing. He brought truth in that they didn't have. What was that? The fact that the Lord promised this land to them. That was the whole reason that they were going to go explore the land in the first place is because the Lord was about to bring them into this land. And just so we're all on the same page on this, just so we're clear, this isn't something that Caleb just kind of felt in his heart a little bit. Like, I think God might want to bring us into the land. No, this is like a promise that God had given to his people over and over again. It's a promise he made to Abraham, a promise he made to Isaac, a promise he made to Jacob. It's a promise that he began to fulfill when he delivered the people up out of slavery in Egypt in a rather miraculous fashion, I might add. And then he provided for them miraculously when they were in the wilderness. And then he miraculously defeated their enemies like multiple times. And so I'm not so sure that it's crazy for Caleb to think I wonder if God is going to bring us into this land that he says he's going to bring us into. You know what I think is crazy? I think it's crazy to discount God. To not bring God into the equation. You know, especially after all those things, especially after he brings you up out of slavery in Egypt and he provides for you in the desert, giving you food and water miraculously, defeats your enemies miraculously. I think it's I think it's strange to then go, yeah, but now that we're thinking about going into here, we're not going to factor in any religious ideas. We're not going to, we don't need to think about anything spiritual here, like, because we just need to look at the giants, and they're really big, and Egypt doesn't look so bad after all. That's actually crazy thinking. There's something about that that's missing the truth. When you get to know who God is, when you get to know what he's like, it's fear that's illogical. It's fear that's crazy. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I think, it's a, I think it encapsulates what we're talking about right here. That verse doesn't mean that we're supposed to like, think God is bad and run away from him and fear him in that way. It's actually more like uh, the fear that's kind of like respect. Uh, like the way that you um, would fear electricity. 
when you're working with electricity, you need to understand its power and take that into your mental calculation so you don't go sticking your finger in a light, you know, in an outlet, right? You don't do that. That would be a stupid thing to do because you know that electricity is powerful. If you don't factor that into your equation, you're going to make some pretty stupid decisions. The Israelites, you know, they had stuff that was part of their equation. They're thinking, okay, the giants are big and we know what the desert's like, but they didn't factor in God into that equation. They factored in the power of the giants, but they didn't factor in the power of God. They didn't really, in that respect, they didn't fear God. They didn't think about him or bring him into their calculation. And if you do that, you're going to make some pretty stupid decisions. That's what it means. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I've been trying to make the the case that following the Lord wholeheartedly is actually more logical than fear especially when you know who he is and what he's like. Here's the second point. Following the Lord wholeheartedly is the secret to conquering giants. When uh, Caleb and Joshua and the other ten spies went out to explore the land, they encountered the descendants of Anak, the Anakites. And what the Bible says about the Anakites is that they were tall and strong. They were formidable opponents. Some commentators suggest that they might have been giants, kind of similar to Goliath, something like that. Whatever it is, what we do know is for sure is that they were the obstacle that kept the Israelites from entering into the promised land. The Israelites took one look at them and said, "Uh uh-uh, God, the desert looks, we know the desert, we don't know what's going to happen when we fight the Anakites, we don't want to go. I think all of us have giants in our lives. Um, We have obstacles that keep us from entering into everything that God has promised for us. And I think this is what distinguishes people in the respectable camp from those who follow the Lord wholeheartedly. In the respectable camp, again, that's... Respectable Christians are like us. They're people who do all the right stuff. They show up for worship, they pray, they, you know, on the outside, everything, you know, you volunteer, you treat your neighbor nicely, you do all that kind of stuff, but there's this line. There's this line that we don't want to cross, and that's like the giant. That's the thing. Anything but fighting giants, God. You know, I'll I'll go into the promised land, but not if there's giants. Um, Contrast that with with Caleb, somebody who follows the Lord wholeheartedly. Listen to how he describes this. He says, Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourselves heard that the Anakites were there, and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. He's saying, Yep. There's giants there, and I'm going to drive them out with the Lord's help. Um, And that's actually exactly what he does. Um, We read in the next chapter that Caleb drives out three Anakites from the city of Hebron, and he goes and takes possession of that land. See, the the thing that's different um, between respectable people and those who follow the Lord wholeheartedly 
is that those who follow the Lord wholeheartedly, they actually step in and act. They do something. They, they figure, and this is big, they figure God into their calculation. It's not just that they're reckless or crazy, but they know that God is working with them. They trust God's promises, and they, they know that's enough to actually act on. God's bringing us into this land, even though there's giants. He says he'll drive them out, so he will, so I'm going to go. And it just makes sense. And that's what it looks like to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. And that's the secret to conquering giants, is to do that, to step in with your whole heart and say, God, I'm going to trust you, and here we go. See, respectable people never fight giants. They just kind of learn to deal with them. They know that they're there, and they just adjust their lives accordingly and just kind of work around them. They never actually confront them. That's, what it, that's why following the Lord wholeheartedly is the secret to conquering giants. It'd be interesting to have a conversation like with all of you, just individually, one-on-one, like talking about what are those giants for you? What, what are those things in your life? What's that line that you let go, I don't want to cross? Um, because I don't know exactly what they are. Sometimes maybe they really are big, but I think sometimes they're actually kind of small. They're not that significant, but it's still an obstacle. It's something that we go, this is a line. I don't want to cross that. I'm not going to trust you enough to go across this line, God, even though it's small. Maybe for someone here, maybe for somebody, that line might look something like, God's called you to go on a mission trip, but you're afraid to travel. Like, you don't know about the airplane. Um, you don't know about going overseas and what the food might be like and how it might fit with your stomach. So, like, you know that's a good thing. You know that you might, it might be life-changing for you. You know you might be a blessing to the people as you go, but you go, ah, no, God, I don't think I can do that. that that's your line. Um, maybe for somebody else, uh, the, the line is something really simple, like after worship, we say, hey, introduce yourself to somebody else and uh, get to know somebody, and you're like, no, I'm okay coming here, but I don't want anybody to get to know me, because if they got to know me, they might not like me, they might not accept me, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stay out of community. You've got a line, and it's just, I'm just not gonna get to know anybody. Um, or maybe it's, you, uh, you feel called to pass on faith to your kids. You know this is really important. You know that you should be praying with them or doing devotions, but you don't maybe feel comfortable praying out loud. And that feels awkward with your kids. And your kids maybe are getting older and you're worried if you try to do family devotions or something, they're going to go, Dad, that's kind of weird. And it's just this line for you that you know this is a good thing, but you're not going to step across it. I know that line. I think the thing that keeps me imprisoned in like respectable mediocrity a lot of the times is fear of failure. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. I'm guessing some of you can. Um, sometimes I don't want to risk my whole self, love with my whole heart, because what will people think of me? Maybe I'm going to look like a fool. Maybe I'm going to look stupid. Um, I don't know if this is the best example, but this is the one I was thinking about the other day. Um, we had the prayer week this week, and I, a lot of you came and prayed in the prayer room, and I hope it was a really good experience for you. I'm so grateful. I'm glad we, I'm glad you were able to do it. I was glad to be able to do it. Um, I love prayer week, so uh, we just want to celebrate that. That was a, that's, was a great experience, a really good thing. 
a couple weeks ago as we were setting that up, as I was getting ready to do this, um, I was feeling overwhelmed because there's actually a lot of work that goes into it. And I was praying, God, I feel a little bit overwhelmed with this. I don't know how I'm going to get all this done. And I felt like the Lord speaking to me saying, well, you should send out an email and ask for help. And that sounds like really wise advice. Like that probably seems like a good thing to do. It sounds kind of like God. But he was telling me to ask for help. <laughs> that's my line. <laughs> like, and you know, some of you think, oh, that's a dumb line. You're right, it's a dumb line. But it was my line, okay? Because it, it means telling a whole bunch of people, yeah, I don't have it together. Like, I, I don't have this all worked out and I need help. And what are people going to think? And maybe it's going to, uh, like, inconvenience people. Maybe they're going to be annoyed. And I have some experience with emails, sending out emails asking for people to help. A lot of times people don't respond to that. I think it's because nobody reads email anymore. I don't think it's a real thing anymore. But I, God said, okay, do this. So I'm like, all right, God, if this is what you're nudging me to do, here we go. We'll just send out an email and ask for help. And it was really cool. All kinds of people said yes. Like, I've never had a response to an email asking for help like that. A bunch of people showed up and helped set up the program. A bunch of people showed up and helped tear it down the other day. Um, people said, yep, I'll stay here and, and, and man the prayer room so we can keep it open during the day. Uh, somebody stepped up and said, hey, I'll try to organize all the shifts. It all kind of came together. And I don't know. There's something, there's something good about stepping beyond that line. I, I want to say this, too. I don't think it's, like, my example isn't, like, all that huge of a thing, right? Sometimes our, sometimes our things feel a lot bigger and a lot scarier. But I don't think with Caleb it was all about him mustering up the courage. I think he just, he just, is because he factored the Lord in, and he knew that it just made sense. He knew it was going to be okay because the Lord was with him. It wasn't all that crazy for him. It was just normal for him. And it's mostly because he's gotten to know the Lord, and what he was like. So the second point is that following the Lord is the secret to conquering giants. Here's the third one. Following the Lord is, the, is required to receive your inheritance. The Bible talks a lot about inheritance. Um, it, it's a, something that comes up over and over again. In Romans 8, uh, it says, By his Spirit... His spirit testifies with our spirit that we are indeed children of God, and if we are children, we are also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Uh, if indeed we share in his sufferings, that we might also share in his glory. And this theme of inheritance, um, it's not just like in that one section, it happens over and over. And the idea is this, because of Jesus Christ, because he came and because he taught us about his kingdom, like, that we could live under his leadership, and because he died to make a way that that would be possible, and because he rose again so that we could have life with him, what he did in all that is he was making the way so that we could be part of his family, that we could be his children, following him, trusting him, walking with him, going, okay, God, you're my dad, and I'm going to follow you wherever you're going. Um, he makes us his children, and because of that, we're also his heirs. We're part of his family, and so everything that he has is ours, just like with my kids. They're my heirs. Everything I have is theirs. They get to enjoy it right now, and one day I'll leave it to them. With, but right now, it's, it's theirs even now, right? Um, with God, that means that his, 
like everything that he has is ours. His power is ours. We have access to his power, all of his power. We have access to all of his resources, all of it. He's going to provide for you. We have access to all of his love. We have access to all of his wisdom. He'll teach us and guide us. We have access to all of his healing. We have access to all that. It's really good news. You know, um, I mean, it's, uh, it's amazing being part of his family. We share in what's his. We even share in his suffering. I, I want to say that, too, because it's, it's not like the Christian life is all you know, gumdrops and lollipops. I mean, we go through hard things, too. There's suffering, too. But that suffering is short compared to the glory that we're going to have with him forever. It's, a really, it's actually really good news to be his children and to be walking with him. It's really, really good. But I want to share a story with you. Um, Actually, I'll give a quick caveat to it first. I found this story on the internet, and uh, it actually, the source was a Latin American tabloid newspaper, I think from Argentina, and I don't speak Spanish. So I don't, I, I say that because I don't know that this is absolutely completely true, and I don't want to tell you like this story is true, and I'm not 100% sure about that. But it is a really good story, and it serves this point really well. So I'll tell it anyway. Um, this guy named Thomas Martinez was living in Bolivia. And he, he was homeless. He actually had a um, substance abuse problem, and because of that, he was living on the streets. His ex-wife, it turns out, inherited $6 million. And uh, she ended up dying, and she left that money to him. But uh, they went to try to find him. The police actually went to try to find him to tell him that you know, he had this inheritance. And when he saw the police coming for him, he thought the police were coming for him. And so he ran away. And they actually didn't find him. Um, he never knew that he got this money. He never got a penny of $6 million, even though that was due him. I tell you this story just so that you understand that it's possible to have an inheritance due you, but to be so afraid that you never actually receive it. You never... You, you never Get it? It's, it's kind of like a news of the weird type of story. I mean, it's crazy. It, it doesn't make any sense, but that's actually what happened with the Israelites as well. They had this inheritance. God was going to bring them into the promised land. It was a really good place. This is what he wanted for them, but they were so afraid, they never entered into it. I mean, and I think there's a way in which you can understand, kind of like with the $6 million and the police and stuff, you, you can understand, you know, why someone would run away from that, but it's still stupid. It's still crazy. Contrast that with Caleb. Remember what Caleb says? He says, now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. He wants the inheritance He knows, this is a good thing. I want this. I'm going after it. See, the only way to receive that inheritance is to actually follow the Lord wholeheartedly. Respectable people end up in the desert. Those boundaries, those lines we draw, keep us from entering into all that God has for us. And you end up dying in the desert. It's only when we follow the Lord wholeheartedly, when we bring him into our calculation, when we, uh, when we actually face the giants and step into that, that we end up receiving our inheritance. 
God's been working on this in me for a while now, maybe a couple years. Um, he keeps telling me things like, you know, it's time for you to give away what I've given you. Not, not like my stuff and money. I mean, I do that too, but I think he's really saying, like, the stuff I've been teaching, it's time for you to give that away. And sometimes that's scary because I think I know that it means risking myself. And um, just a few weeks ago, somebody, a friend, gave me the word bold. And I don't think it meant be bold in your preaching or something like that. I think um, God's been doing that in me, but I think it's just bold in my action. I think what he's inviting me to do is step across this line. And to be honest, I don't know exactly what that always means. I don't know what all of the lines are ahead of me, if that makes sense. Um, I know as much as I've been telling you today, but I don't know everything that's there. But I think right now is the time. Now is the time to step out of mediocrity into wholehearted faith. Now is the time to stop pretending that compromise is safe. Now is the time to start figuring the Lord into, into my calculations, to thinking about who he is as I'm preparing to act. Because those people, those people who walk with incredible faith like Caleb, like Brother Andrew, those people, they're not crazy. They're not illogical. They're not reckless. Those are the people who change the world with God. And I'm tired of respectable mediocrity. And I'm ready to enter into wholehearted faith. Because following the Lord wholeheartedly is more logical than fear. Following the Lord wholeheartedly is the secret to conquering giants. And following the Lord wholeheartedly is the only way to receive your inheritance. So this is where I'm headed. And I'm wondering who's with me. Let's pray. Father, um, I guess that's my declaration today. I'm speaking it out loud here and I'm speaking it to you as well. I want to follow you wholeheartedly. I want to step beyond respectability. God, I want to trust you. And I pray that for us. I pray that you would give us the grace to do just that, to follow you wholeheartedly. God, teach us more what you're like so that we can trust you and trust your promises so that we can figure those into our calculations when we're acting. God, give us that kind of wisdom. God, I pray for, pray for that kind of wisdom and that kind of knowledge so when it's time to face the giants, we've got that, uh, we, we have that faith, we have that knowledge, that real knowledge about you, real wisdom, real truth, that we can act on so that we can step up conquering giants and entering into the promised land, receiving our inheritance. God, we want that. So we ask you, God, here we are. This is what we want. And we pray that you'd help us, give us faith. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. All right, why don't you stand up? Let me give you a blessing. As you do that, just know the prayer team is going to be here after the service.
to pray with you. Maybe you got some giants you need to stare down and they would be happy to pray with you about that. Um, receive this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Say hi to somebody. Get to know somebody as you go. Introduce yourself. Have a great week. All right. Thanks for watching. I want to let you know about three things that you can do. First, you can locate discussion questions for this message on our page so you can do some independent study or talk with a group to help you process. Then, follow us on Vimeo or iTunes so you don't miss a single message. Better yet, join us in person Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Finally, if you are feeling this ministry and you want to help advance the mission of helping people become who God purposed them to be, you can click the link to give. Your generosity brings hope, healing, and radical transformation to people all over the world. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.